0: to be here. My name is Christina Ortiz and I am a registered psychologist working at the Suicide Prevention Center. Uh, That's part of DD Hirsch, Mental Health Services. You might have heard of them. uh, It's a large community center. I'll talk about them in a bit. And in addition to providing trainings like this one to the community, I also provide therapy, crisis counseling, and I facilitate support groups for those who are bereaving the loss of someone to suicide and for those who have survived a suicide attempt. So uh, for me, my interest in mental health and suicide prevention started when I was a teen actually. I had a very positive experience with therapy myself. I uh, found that the therapist was able to help me navigate depression as a youth and just really acted as an advocate for me at that time. And I started also participating in different teen support groups that I found really helpful, where I learned that I was not alone and that there was help. And so inspired uh, as an eager youth, I decided to uh, go to college and, and eventually that led me to volunteer for the suicide crisis, prevention crisis line. And that's actually where I did start at D.D. Hirsch. So I started uh, pretty young in uh, my, I was in undergrad at that time when I started volunteering. And then I eventually went to grad school to get my doctorate in psychology. And then I returned back to D.D. Hirsch to continue their mission. Um, They have a really great mission to erase the stigma associated with mental illness and to provide quality mental health care to people in need. So I'm really passionate about my work, and I'm passionate about being here and sharing what I've learned. I've learned a lot of lessons in my crisis work, and I still recall the lessons I learned from volunteering on the crisis line. And uh, a lesson that has stood out for me that I have learned is that it really does not take a tremendous amount to be really helpful to a teen who is thinking about suicide. And as I go through this training together with you, I hope to provide you at least with a foundation in in terms of like the best practices for suicide prevention that you can build upon. And also to uh, have the confidence. So when somebody, when a youth asks, was inviting you to talk about suicide in a way is that you'll feel more empowered to have that important conversation with them you know adults teens children thinking about suicide can be helped and anybody whether or not you're i see a lot of social workers and um, therapists here but whether or not you have a degree or not anybody can learn and apply suicide assessment and prevention skills. So these are skills that I hope that you also share with the the families that you serve, the parents that you serve, because this can also help them talk to their child about uh, suicide. So let's get started here. So uh, if you could show the next slide, please. and the next that's me (laughs) and the next after that thank you so uh yes so dd hirsch is the organization that i work for there are 10 sites throughout or 11 sites i'm sorry all through southern california including the suicide prevention center that's the location that i work at and uh, dd hirsch provides a lot of mental health services suicide abuse treatment residential services we have drop, wellness drop-in centers, homeless services. Uh, if somebody is, is in crisis and wants to talk to a counselor, they can come to the Suicide Prevention Center or uh, any of our, our other placements and then we will, will help them. So we now serve over 159,000 people every year. And the Suicide Prevention Center that I work at didn't always belong to Dee Hirsch. They actually adopted the center later. That was founded by three uh, suicidologists, Dr. Farbro, Schneid, Dr. Schneidman, and Dr. Littman, who were researching uh, suicide and specifically looking at uh, suicide notes from that were left uh, for, for, that were left, and they were finding that this theme of ambivalence was showing up in the suicide note. So we're, we're actually going to talk about that later, ambivalence, and what that looks like. And this research center, that's what they started, in 1962, a famous woman, Marilyn Monroe, many, many of you might know, died by suicide, and they were the ones that did the psychological autopsy and declared her uh, death a probable suicide. And since that time, that's when m- many, many people started calling their, their research center and wanting to get help for their own thoughts of suicide. And pretty much that started the, the nation's first suicide prevention lifeline. And now we, the crisis line is 24 four seven serves as a model crisis line for the world and they added the distress uh, disaster distress line so now they operate the national suicide prevention lifeline and the disaster distress line and last year they took over 130,000 calls and chats and as you might have guessed since covid there has been an increase in calls especially to the disaster distress line there are So we have other services as well. I just want to review. We have crisis follow-up services. So if somebody, if you have somebody call the crisis line and this person is at high risk and they just seem to need a little bit more than that one call, we can actually enroll them in a crisis follow-up program where our counselors will give somebody calls uh, maybe maybe it's one time or maybe we we determine like maybe they need maybe six calls or something that just to help connect them to further services we also work with hospitals Uh, so people that are recently discharged from a psychiatric stay we we can they can be enrolled in our follow-up program and we'll actually help them uh, sort of transition out of the hospital right so as Many of you know that, that there's a heightened risk for a suicide attempt after being released from the hospital. So we have that program in place. We do debriefings that uh, for, we call them debriefings, but we go out into the community. So if there's a death in the community and uh, it, the family or school or organization, organization uh, needs somebody to kind of come in and talk to their staff or the family, we do that. We also, as you can see, we do trainings like this one. We have different uh, crisis uh, suicide prevention trainings, which I'll talk about later, that you can attend and join. We provide, again, therapy and support, which is what I shared. And also, we are continuing to you know, imp- do research and, and improve all our services through our research and innovation team. So we care a lot about suicide prevention, and we know you care as well because of the rising rates of suicide in the U.S. So according to these numbers in 2018, 10.6 million people reported having thoughts of suicide. There were 1.4 million attempts. That's the next arrow. And... 47,143 suicide deaths. That averages to about 129 suicides per day, just in the United States. And for adults, that's the 10th leading cause of death. I'll talk about uh, teens in a bit. But actually, before I do, if you look at this continuum right here, there's actually a big message of hope. Right? You can see that If you can see that, you can see that most people who think about suicide are not acting on those thoughts. Most people who attempt suicide don't die by suicide. So we know that if we can interrupt interrupt the process from thought to act or help those who have already attempted not make another attempt, we can make a huge difference. The question we pose here to everyone is do you think these numbers tell the full story right not not really not at all actually all the statistics that we have and i'll share our use statistics um, on the next slide are likely underestimates because some of them may be misclassified as accidental deaths right particularly those that involve a, a drug overdose and most notably as I'm sure some of you have thought already, stigma. So there is still a lot of stigma. It's it's reducing, but there's still a lot of stigma preventing people from reporting their thoughts of suicide or if they've made attempts. And after a death, a family may not want to share that their loved one died by suicide because of that stigma. Also, unfortunately, it's common for adults to not tell children about a suicide in the family. So a child might grow up never really knowing what happened to their loved one. Before I, yes, and then um, before I go to the next slide, I also want to mention, let's talk about some disparities here. So gender disparity is a major one. Even though women and women attempt suicide more, men are three and a half times more likely to die by suicide and account for 70% of suicide deaths in the US. Also, uh, statistics, also another major, a major contributing factor to that we found is that men are more likely to use a gun and half of all suicides are the result of firearms. So going on to our youth suicide rates because We know that suicide is preventable, especially if we intervene early. So let's look at the youth suicide rates because they have been steadily on the rise in the United States. So while suicide is the 10th leading cause of death for adults, it is the second leading cause of death for youth. Yeah, just look at these numbers. So the second leading cause of death for our youth, the first being accidents. um, And the the method of suicide most common for youth we found it, regardless of gender is hanging. And the second most common is poisoning for females and then firearms for our boys. Christina? Yes. We have one comment, a good comment from Omar here in the chat that says you will have to build rapport with the client to prevent. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to talk about more detail about how to build that rapport, especially with our youth. So thank you for bringing that up. And let's see here. Oh, it's also very important to mention the racial disparity in suicidal behavior amongst youth. So since the 90s, there has been an increase in suicide deaths in Black children. In 2017, Black high school youth Followed by Hispanic youth have had the highest percentage of suicide attempt compared to all other ethnicities. Right. So there are uh, that just that I think that's incredibly important, especially right now, to be thinking about what are the things that are you know we can already have theories about like why what is increasing their rate, um, and so we want to be mindful of that, but. Um, again, it's oh, I actually not again I'll mention this. these statistics are it's good to know um, but right uh, I encourage you to to think that that anybody can be at risk so whether whether or not our the youth that you're talking to is is a male female um, anybody or a different ethnicity, anybody can be at risk so. These are just good statistics to know and sort of understand. So normally during our in-person trainings, we ask the audience to raise their hands if they've ever known someone who has died by suicide. And at least half half of the hands go up. And every every time I've done this. So for those of you who are watching this, um, who can relate or who have their hands up, you are not alone because research shows that during our lifetime, it is highly likely that 64% of us will know someone who has attempted or died by suicide. Almost half of us will know someone uh, personally, and 20 for, 20% of us will substantially be affected by the suicide of someone that we dearly love and identify as survivors. The quilt you see here was made by survivors and depicts their loved ones who had died by suicide. So I wanna bring your attention to the second row. In the middle here, there is a black and white photo. That's a picture of a, a woman right there. And then that's the mother. Now next to her is her oldest son on the left and the youngest daughter on the right. All three died Within a 10-year span, we share that to highlight that the that the suicide uh, of one person or multiple people can contribute to the suicide beha- suicidal behaviors in others, especially for those who were already having thoughts of suicide. So we would never say that there's this. Somebody who died by suicide is going to cause anybody, to, somebody else, to die by suicide. But we, ha- uh, we do know that somebody who is already at risk of suicide, who's already having thoughts of suicide, when there is somebody in their social circle, especially if it's close, someone that's close, it can uh, lead them to have certain thoughts like, well, you know, if they did it, they found this way to escape their pain, maybe I can do that too. So it sort of brings up the option. And we do see a rise in calls to the crisis line, say um, when a celebrity dies. So that does happen. But of course, I wanna emphasize here, suicide is never caused by one thing. And actually, we're gonna, I'm gonna get to that in the next slide, please. Christina? Yes. We have one more question, which is why has the number increased so fast? You had said the blacks, and I think you said Hispanic, and Hispanics, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we we don't know why, but some people are thinking that it's because uh, black black children, minority children, are experiencing a di- uh, perhaps a dis- there's some theories saying like maybe that's the dis- uh, disproportionate exposure to violence or traumatic stress. Maybe it's the uh, um, that black children are more likely to have some people are saying like early experience, early onset of puberty, which has been associated with with a high risk of suicide, depression, in, impulsive um, impulsivity, and anxiety, uh, and perhaps our minority youth are less likely to seek help for depression, you know, suicide or ideation, suicide attempts. Some people are saying that it might have to do with the uh, mental health stigma that's in our in our communities. So. There, there hasn't been a, like a, this is the reason, right? They can't say this is the risk factor. Um, but, uh, you know, these are the things that, that sort of have been in the discussions about possibly why, why is, why are these rates increasing? Yeah. So I want to introduce everyone to Bobby. Bobby Bobby's our youth here and we're going to, I'm going to, Sort of explain a little bit what can lead someone to think about suicide by looking at what's happening to Bobby. So, Bobby, if you see, he's on a he's on an arrow, um, and that's the arrow that represents his vision of the future. So he can see he has a, he has a straight view to his goals, what he wants to do in his future. Right. So Bobby wants to graduate high school. He wants to he wants to become a physical trainer. Um, he wants to one day, you know, maybe have a family of his own. Like he's already thinking about like, these things, like what Bobby wants to do when he grows up sort of thing. Anyway. So, but there are things that are going to happen in Bobby's life that will make it harder for him to see that future. Bobby is starting to experience problems in school. He's noticing that he is having trouble focusing and concentrating. He's having trouble uh, sort of keeping up with his peers. He doesn't know why. Um, And he's noticing he doesn't really feel like he's getting along with many people in his school, but you know what? It's manageable. Um, There's pressure for Bobby. His parents are putting a lot of pressure on him to do well in school. Uh, He wants to, he wants to do well in school, just like his older brother. So there's that pressure in there, and then he's also uh, he also has a few friends in in school. Um, some of them that he is having some conflict with, but not too bad. So if you can see here, these are the kind of the probably many teens might be experiencing this amount of stress or pressure uh, amongst their school and their, and their friend groups, and they can still see the future. So Bobby, these are manageable stressors. He's still able to have a clear vision for what he wants in his future. Right. But some things some a few more things are going to pile up for Bobby. Family issues. So he has been noticing that his parents have been arguing a lot more lately. His older a uh, brother, who he looks up to, has moved out of the house. Um, and he's feeling really lonely in his home, all right? So that he's noticing that. And then some other things are going to pop up. He, His grandfather has died. So now he's grieving the loss of uh, his grandfather, who he loves very much, right? Um, And he's starting to have trouble seeing over that line. He starts to experience bullying at school. So now it's making it even harder for him to see his future. And if you notice, his smile has kind of went down. Now he has this sort of frown, right? So it's hard for him to right now starting to see over his future. It's starting to pile up and become too much. And the next... The next few things are going to pile up for him. So he might be having some identity issues. Some identity issues that are common to, to teens, and are, you know, this is a time of identity development. So it, he might be having issues kind of identifying who he is as a male, who he is, um, if he has any. If he he might be gay, bisexual, lesbian, or any sexual identity issues, he might have some issues and might have identity issues in terms of maybe his uh, culture or ethnicity. Uh, he is he is feeling a lot of internal strife and pressure, and now Bobby has also started experiencing depression. So if you can imagine, all of these things are sort of happening all in piling up and happening potentially in a short amount of time, you know, and short is very relative, but if this stuff, if these things are happening within just a few year, few years, some people have these things sort of pile up in a month or so, but this can be a lot. And so if you look at Bobby, he cannot, right now, there's so many things that are happening in his life. It's hard to see past them. And what him And many people might then start to experience, might feel like a crisis is happening. And they might experience something like tunnel vision. This is where someone can feel like they're in a tunnel, just emotionally, cognitively feeling like they're trapped. They could feel, start feeling, it can be very overwhelming. Dr. Snydman, the founder of the Suicide Prevention, or one of the founders of the Suicide Prevention Center, described something like psychological pain. He called it psychache, ache. And that's, he says it's the introspective experience of negative emotions. We're talking dread, despair, fear, guilt, shame, uh, loneliness, and loss. You know, these are all things that can, Happen and they can experience, and it does feel painful. It can feel almost like physically painful. And the longer that a person, a youth, or adult is in this tunnel alone, they might truly come to believe that there is no escape. They might feel more and more hopeless, helpless. Um, and it is in this dark space that one might begin to think about death. As an escape, they might be thinking about suicide as an option. So, what if someone, uh, let's say, it, let what if a youth, you know, is brave enough to tell us that they're thinking about suicide? What is the typical gut reaction when someone? Is telling you that they're thinking about suicide, especially if you're not used to having these conversations. We probably experience something like this. If you could, yeah, thank you. We probably experience a moment uh, like Beaker, a, a, a moment where we feel like Beaker here. We sort of can go into a panic, right? And we wanna rush the youth to safety. We wanna essentially put a band aid on them, you know, tell them that. Everything's gonna get better, that you don't really mean that, you know? Or it, we might wanna put on like a therapist hat and be like, let me tell you all these coping skills that you can learn right now, right? And while these responses are well inten- intentioned, when a youth is in this state, it can actually cause an immediate disconnect because they might feel misunderstood or judged right? So ultimately what a youth needs is a little something different. I want you to imagine that you've been sitting in a dark room. If you could go to the next slide, please. Thank you. Yes. So I want you to imagine that you've been sitting alone in your own dark room for some time and Someone comes into your room, is scared of your darkness, tells you that there's something wrong with you, and switches on the light. Why don't you take a moment? What does that feel like? What does that feel like when someone turns on a bright light in a really dark room when you're not ready for it? Just think about that. For some, it could be sh- like shocking or uncomfortable, upsetting, painful to the eyes probably, and maybe anno- annoying at the very least. Now imagine instead, as an alternative, that you've been sitting in that dark room. And instead of someone, instead of someone coming in and switching on that light, they come in and without feeling afraid of your darkness without judgment you know sit down with you and instead wants to know your story they want to know you know with how you got there with genuine curiosity how did you get here what has it been like it is likely when someone takes the time to hear you, that you will feel understood. Um, And with the support of that person, you might be more willing to turn on that light for yourself. When helping someone, a teen in crisis or youth in crisis, you wanna meet them where they are at, right? Because the reason that works so often is that often nobody uh, has been willing in their life at that time or maybe you has had the opportunity to sit with them in that dark space you know other people may want to other if if it's a youth maybe adults or their parents just want to rush them out of the into the light you know and hurry them out of it so for you to sit down with them and not rush them and just say like i'm here with you you know, tell me more about what this has been like for you. It's sort of like a a gift you're giving the youth. So don't be afraid of a child's darkness, you know, get comfortable there because it will help support them feeling connected to you because you were willing to do it. So what are we looking for in that darkness? We are looking for something called ambivalence. So if you remember the, the, founders of the Suicide Prevention Center, they were finding, through looking at the su- uh, suicide notes, people have died uh, by suicide, they were finding this theme of ambivalence coming up. So I invite you to really embrace this notion that uh, a person, a, a child, thinking about suicide might also be battling uh, those thoughts, so those thoughts for of wanting to die against those thoughts of not wanting to die, of wanting to live. Sort of it's almost like um, a little bit. it could be experienced as like a t- a tug, a tug of war in a way. So so that's what we're that's what we're looking for when we're talking to our youth. Um, there's somebody named Kevin Hines that some of you might know. He, he is one of 25 people to have known to survive the jump off the golden gate bridge and he shares that even he ha- even with the clear plan and intent that he was experienced experiencing ambivalence the entire way he shares that even after he his hands left the railing he immediately he had thought Oh my God, I don't want to die. Please save me. So he shares that just, and he goes around and he's a big advocate for mental health and he shares his story because he also wants to highlight that there is ambivalence and where there is ambivalence, there is hope. So we're going to talk about more about how to recognize and respond to this ambivalence and And then, um, but first we wanna understand the risk factors. So we have to talk about, when it comes to suicide, we have to talk about the risk factors and warning signs. So that's what I'm gonna talk about right now. So what can increase a person's uh, capability of acting on on their thoughts of suicide? So these are some things that we found. So some behaviors, this can include substance use. Some behaviors are, impulsivity or aggressive behaviors, non-suicidal self-injury, so we're talking, you know, self-harm, some other characteristics we found, uh, mental illness, uh, maybe personality disorder traits, personality disorder traits, uh, some maybe interpersonal, pro, interpersonal skills, poor interpersonal skills, low self-esteem, we're thinking sometimes like lack of support, a history of trauma or abuse, easy access to lethal means, some precipitating factors that have stand out are like the uh, relationship endings, maybe some, a health diagnosis. Uh, It could be, it could I'm going to talk more specifically about what these things are in teens, but just in general, we're looking at precipitating factors or things, big things that are happening in someone's life that, can cause them to go into a crisis. When it comes to family history, a family history of mental illness, a family history of suicide, a a loss of a loved one or a friend to suicide, also personal history. So a person's own history of attempting suicide or mental illness and then we also want to think about some of the The barriers to accessing care. Those are some other uh, stressors that can be happening in a person's life, right? So it's good to know all the risk factors, but you never want to dismiss a person who might be thinking about suicide because you don't associate them with the risk. So anybody, anybody can be at risk. Let's look at more of the specific characteristics when it comes to teens. So these are the ones that have uh, shown more frequently in our youth. So disruptive behavior in school or at home, breakups are a big one for our youth, definitely uh, a boyfriend, girlfriend, um, partner, maybe a breakup with an important friend, that's often. If the youth has their own prior suicide attempts, these things, other things are bullying, abuse, exposure to abuse or violence. I'd also say um, exposure to community violence as well. Any gender, sexual identity issues, and then trauma, of course. Other things, um, behaviors, delinquency in school, the suicide loss of a friend, and self-injury. So let's move on to some warning signs. We don't like to think about them more at warning signs. We want to think about them as invitations. So when, when we think about them as invitations, that makes us sort of want, want us to, it, it gives us an opening to ask about suicide, right? When we hear warning signs, that gives us a message to like stay away. So we really want to think about these things as invitations to ask about suicide. All right, so appearance. So the specifically we'll talk about teens. So maybe the teen is going to school um, or the youth, the child's going to, uh, you're noticing a change in, in image. So maybe they're, maybe their affect is more is flattened. Maybe they are not, taking care of their hygiene like they used to. That could be a factor. Um, Thank you. And maybe they're making statements like things like I don't care anymore or maybe it could be obvious like I just want to go to sleep and not wake up, things like that. Other behaviors could be maybe sleeping a lot, right, or skipping school, maybe feeling – Things like, I'm too sick to go to school, or, you know, feeling, um, stating that they're too, too ill to do things that they used to really like to do. That's a big one. Some behaviors, some warning signs could be giving away belongings. Um, they could be giving, uh, they could be also, some other behaviors are in, involved, especially with our youth, are statements that they're making publicly on their social media. So things like on the social media, maybe it could be, I, I don't care anymore, or maybe they're posting pictures of you know, more, you know, dark themes that we're noticing. So any sort of changes like that. I'm gonna give, send, in the next slide, I'm gonna share with you some some artwork that was found in uh an adult who later this is this is an artwork by a teen who later died by suicide as an adult so this artwork is actually the the younger the younger brother of rick mogul who is our division director at the suicide prevention center or i'm sorry the direct the division director the director of suicide bereavement services at our suicide prevention center and he found these in his brother's room. So, if you look at these pictures right now, think about how what what warning signs are are being that can you see here, right? What do these pictures sort of represent? What is what do you think this youth might have been feeling at that time? Right, kind of you. There's one. The one on the left is there's a car. So almost there might be a feeling of fear or scared. He might be feeling almost like there's no escape, that he has no control. The one on the right is uh, cityscape. And it's almost like as if like the world were against him, right? Feels like he has uh, almost maybe no control, right? So just think about all the themes that are happening in these pictures. Can, can anyone see the ambivalence? See where you can see the ambivalence. There's ambivalence being shown in both. You can see the one on the, the one on the left with the car. He's sort of, it's, it's a male, by the way, this was, this was in the seventies. So he has long hair, but he's, he's, Almost like blocking himself right so this is almost a protective a protective stance so that shows them that shows ambivalence there and the other one he's sort of like holding on right so in both of these there isn't a there isn't an expression of just sort of like giving up or letting go he's really battling for his safety right here in a way when Rick Mogul found these on the back of this artwork, there was an A plus. So apparently his brother had shared these to uh, his school or in, I guess, one of the art classes and the art teacher had given him an A plus for these. So we share this again to say that uh, if you see anything like this, that this might be, these might be invitations and to to check in with the student, ask about what's going on in their life and to not dismiss these signs as uh, just, just because. And it might not, they might not be anything, but it's important to ask. If you are seeing an invitation, the most important thing to do is ask. So what are we asking? We are asking if the person is thinking about suicide. Are you thinking about killing yourself? Are you thinking about suicide? When it comes to, depending on the age, right? So, for a young person, like we'll say maybe 10 or something, you might say something like, hey, are you thinking, have you been having, after you see the invitations, um, are you thinking about, have you been thinking about uh, death? You know, have you, do you ever have thoughts of not wanting to live? You could ask like that, right? Um, I gave you, I gave everyone a list. Uh, there's a handout with a, with a list of uh, different ways to ask these, ask someone if they're thinking about suicide. I encourage you to find the, your own voice, your own way. But whatever you do, it ask this question directly. And what I mean is you want to make sure that you are asking about suicide. Eventually, you don't want to just stop at asking if someone is thinking about death or if someone is thinking about hurting themselves, because that's very vague. When it comes to suicide risk, you ask about: Are you thinking about killing yourself? Are you thinking about suicide? If you're thinking, if the youth is thinking about, uh, let's say the the child is young, like around 10, if they're thinking about dying, you can ask them: Have you been thinking about uh, how you would die? You know, are you thinking about that you want to, that you want to kill yourself, you know, ask specifically about that at whatever age that they are at. And it's a hard one. I think this one was, this one was the hardest for me when I, I remember going to starting at the crisis line years back and thinking one, this is a hard question to ask <laughs> anybody because there, I remember being like a, almost afraid of the answer. Right. So that was that, that I was, I was anxious about that. Like, what do I do if they say yes? And then two is I had the thought. If I ask them, if they're thinking about suicide, then it will put the thought in their head. And as, uh, I want to emphasize many of you kind of already know this already asking someone about suicide does not put the idea in their head. It doesn't do that for any you know, teens who's thinking about suicide it does not put in, put that idea in their head. Uh, this gives them a chance to open up if they have been thinking about it and also to know that if they are, or if they ever do, you are a safe person to have that conversation because you were, it shows that you are, are comfortable having that conversation, asking that question. So we encourage ask it anyway, even if you're, even if you're not sure, just, just ask that. Um, because it says a lot about what kind of what kind of support that you're going to be for them. All right. So I'm going to talk about our crisis call model. So this is the model that we use as a sort of roadmap and action steps to take when assessing for risk. So let's talk about slow down and talk about how this model is set up. So if you notice, it's almost like it's an up da- upside down triangle. It's it's a funnel, right? with the largest section on top this is establishing rapport this is the first and it's the biggest portion of this model because it emphasizes that we want to spend the most time here then the next section is gathering information this is this is gathering the information that we need for a risk assessment which i'll get into and also about their story and so if you notice that there's, in between, it's a dotted line with, and where risk assessment is, there's an arrow that kind of goes up and down. That's to say, as we are developing that relationship, further developing that rapport, we want to be also getting to hear their story and then asking our risk assessment questions. And then if you notice, there's like a, a dark line between gathering information and ex- exploring alternative Alternatives we do not cross that essential, that, that line, until the youth has, a, has expressed ambivalence. So we'll talk about what to look for, what does that look for in a bit, but remember, we'd not go into safety planning, uh, talking about coping skills, that sort of thing, um, until we've already developed that relationship and gathered their story. And then, the, do I have a question? I might have heard something. No. Okay. Uh, in 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 the back here, you see how it goes from dark to light. That's just a reminder that at the beginning of talking to someone, you want to stay in that dark place again. So starting there with them where they are at. Because while we anxiously might want to get the person who is thinking or the child think who's thinking about suicide connected to life. It is best to slow down, especially in the beginning, because they right at that moment, they are connected to their desire to die. And so that's where we need to join them. So stay in that dark place until they are ready to have you support them. Turn on the light, so to speak. All right. So the first step and foundation of this model is to establish that rapport. And building rapport is one of the most important skills that you can possess here because you want the child to trust you. You want them to feel safe, to talk to you. And, you know, talking about suicide requires a lot of vulnerability and courage. So we want to honor that and just make it easy as possible for them to to share their thoughts, because a trusting relationship with you is one of the most important avenues on ensuring their safety. So this is what these, these are the things, if you think uh, red means no, green means go, right? So these are the things that we wanna be doing. These are skills. Um, there's a lot of therapists in the room, you know. So these almost, uh, just these sort of things come as like no brainers. There's things like maybe you've been practicing a lot already. Um, but when it comes to talking about suicide, we want to, you know, definitely remember that. So don't move away from the painful topic. Be with the child. If they're, if they're talking about something that's really hard in their lives right now, stay with that. Listen to them. Um, hold off on that urge to, to tell them about, you know, all the, the different resources you have to help them. Don't tell them, this is not the time to tell them about their like the support groups yet or or telling them to think about you know their sister brother mom dad it's, it's not the time it's not it's also not the time to tell them that um you know everything's gonna get better not yet not yet at least so so that's going to come but just in the beginning just be with them listen to them identify how they're feeling and take their take their thoughts seriously all right here's our risk assessment so there are four key components to risk assessment, and I'll go into more detail for each one. So next slide, please. All right, starting with our desire. So desire, uh, desire involves obviously desire to want to die, the desire to want to die by suicide, right? So if you see an invitation, the most important thing again is to ask. About suicide, and you can also do this. It makes it easy. The way I do it um, is I I note I name like the warning signs, whatever that they may be ex- exhibiting or showing. So, for example, they might be um, Bobby. I've noticed that you haven't been wanting to go to school for a long time. You haven't been calling your friends, and it seems like you know you're spending just a lot of time in your room alone and worried. I'm worried about you. Uh, some teens when they've when they've been withdrawing from their their friends and their family, they're thinking about suicide. Is that sometimes that something you're thinking about, right? So just just go into it and you could you could ask, and sometimes um, they might say no, and so that might uh, mean that we want to develop that relationship more, develop that rapport a little bit more, or it might mean um, that that really, really no. So it kind of de- depends, develop that rapport first, of course, before you get right into these assessment questions. Have you, if they say no, you wanna ask, have you ever thought about suicide in the past? we ask asked that question because if we stop at, are you thinking about suicide and they say no, we might fail to learn that they weren't thinking about suicide, they're not thinking about suicide right now, but they were thinking about it last week. So we always ask, about past thoughts about suicide. The next few questions have been associated with risk. Uh, so uh, an increased risk to wanna die by suicide. So feeling like a burden, feeling like uh, that they are maybe like a drain or detriment uh, to uh, their, their family or friends, or sometimes they might have thoughts to the world. So ask if they, they're feeling like a burden. Maybe they're feeling uh, hopeless or helpless, you can ask about that, gauge that. See if they're feeling, um, feeling trapped by their life and in, in whatever way, and see if they're feeling alone as well. So these are the four. So these are the four you wanna remember and to ask. Um, in, sometimes you can tell by the, just how they're sharing their story, but it's really help, it really helps if you can name it for them, You know, give them sort of words to express how they're feeling. Uh, they'll feel more connected, connected to you. Right? I heard um, once a teen shared that they said that they felt like the, they felt like the walls are closing in and everything was falling apart around them. So that was, that was in, in indicated to me, just that feeling of trap, feeling, feeling trapped and almost helpless. Right. All right. So next, the next, component of a good risk assessment is to ask about capability. Capability questions help assess risk factors for attempting suicide and help us get enough details here that will help us with safety planning. So to start, you wanna ask if they have ever had any past attempts, including, you know, how they attempted, when they attempted as well. Ask about if they've lost somebody to suicide, a friend, family member, um, if that's affecting them. So if the person was was close, it might be affecting them. Ask, we underline, do you have a gun? And that's a big one (laughs) because of the higher rates of firearms and those have been strongly associated with a higher rate of suicide, as you know. So we always ask about a gun in the home even if or or they have a family member or friend who they have access to a gun even if the youth says that they're they're thinking about maybe like hanging or something we want to ask about a gun just because of the heightened risk that they have just being in just being in the household all right violence is uh, something that has been associated with an uh, increased risk for suicide a CDC study of youth suicide trends found that high school students who reported suicide attempts in the past year were nearly four times more likely to also have reported getting in fights at school. So, if a uh, youth mentions that they've been having trouble, you know, with with peers in school, you ask if they've ever got if it's ever gotten so bad that they've gotten into a fight. We have also, you know, any, any problems with drugs or alcohol, see if their mood's been changing. They feel angry or anxious. This is not the time to, I have to, I'm a a psychologist. So I, I sometimes have an urge to like assess, like, you know, let me, This is not the time to assess or, or give a, a diagnostic interpretation here. So we're not trying to diagnose you. We're just trying to have a conversation and the conversation it, it, is not, is just involving any mood changes, any uh, problems, you know, just general problems with drugs or alcohol. So this is inviting a conversation, not trying to diagnose uh, a youth right here. All right, next slide, please. Let's say they confirm that, yes, that they are thinking about suicide. You wanna find out if they are safe right now. So uh, we wanna uh, find out if they have already done anything towards a suicide plan, right? So have they, have they already taken any pills? Have they already uh, cut or harmed themselves? Um, maybe they've done something towards a plan. So you wanna, if, they, if they, the youth is sharing that, you know, they're thinking about maybe um, hanging You know, we want to ask very directly, have you thought about what you might hang yourself with and find out if they have access to whatever that is that they they shared. You want to um, see if they've decided uh, when, you know, do they have, get get almost like the when, where, how. So uh, another thing that's important to ask is to gauge uh, intent as separate from desire. So, whereas the desire is that, that, that desire to die by suicide. Intent, it involves how likely it is that they believe that they will act on that desire. And one way that we do this is we ask a scaling question. Uh, it could be stated in these words, or maybe something like, uh, you know, um, Beth, you said that you are thinking about suicide. Um, and you shared with me that you want to uh, run into traffic, right? On a scale one through five, one being that, you know, these are, these are thoughts that you're having. They're just thoughts. Um, it's not likely that you will do that. To five being that it is highly likely that you will act on those thoughts and try to attempt today, where would you put yourself, Right. And so have the youth sort of gauge for themselves if they're where they are on that scale and ask them. Um, that's also a good way if you're doing follow-up with the youth or if you're seeing them for, for therapy or treatment again, you can actually use that scale as a way to uh, uh, measure um, improvement, right? So maybe they come in with you and they they're, they're, suicidal intent starts at like a three and then over time it starts going down to two or one. So this is something if you've ever called the crisis line or uh, you can also uh, talk if you've ever talked to somebody who works on the crisis line this is a question that they ask at the beginning and end of every call. So when somebody first calls in they and they're sharing about thoughts of suicide a counselor will ask them to rate their intent and compare it at the end of the call. Next slide please. Buffers. Buffers refers to our protective factors. These are what connect the person at risk to their reasons for living. So, So asking the youth, you know, who do they have in their lives that they can talk to? Who are the people that are supporting them? Does anybody know you know, they might have a lot of friends or family members, but nobody might know what they're thinking. So we want to find out who who in their life do uh, knows, or who in their life can they talk to. Find out if they have a, a a sense of purpose. Maybe they have a goal or something they want to do when they grow up, or something that they look forward to in their life, right? So if they're really young, it could be as simple as what they look forward to on the weekend, right? So uh, it, in general, we wanna see what how, what are they looking at into the future? Can they see the future? If you remember Bobby, right, it was really hard for him to see past those things that are piling up. So we wanna see what, what their vision is right now. How strong is that tunnel vision that they're experiencing? There's a scale here, one through five, about how connected to others or supported that do they feel? This is a scaling question you can ask because uh, a child may have friends or family members that support them that they know that might that love them but when you ask them like how connected do you really feel to them um, they might you might learn that they really don't feel that connected to the people in their life so we want to ask you can ask a scaling question like the one seen here. And buffers are are key because it's actually what we wanna incorporate into a safety plan. So going through a risk assessment, uh, it's not really enough information if we only just stick to those risk assessment questions because we really wanna understand what has led this this child to wanna die? What is leading this child to think about suicide? And to understand this, this is where we slow down and we want to hear their full story. We want to learn about what are those factors that have been piling up in this child's life. So things, um, any recent changes. So any recent changes to their home, their home environment, their uh, support systems? Is there is there tension, a loss in their support system? Did... Was there a divorce in their family? Did somebody pass away? Uh, is there, maybe they went to a new school, um, anything like that. If you could think of all things that you that the children that you see um, for, uh, that are common in, in schools and, and what, what are these things and, and are these things impacting how this child feels? So ask about those. Um, you know, maybe it's bullying, maybe it's exposure to violence, right? And as you gather the story, you want to be listening for that ambivalence, those reasons for dying, coming up against their reasons for living. So some examples that uh, a child might say who's ambivalent about suicide, it might be obvious. They might say, you know, like, I don't, I don't want to kill myself. I just want to stop feeling this way. Right. So let that's, that's obvious ambivalence. Right, or another obvious ambivalence might be something like, I, I would, I would attempt to kill myself, but I can't because I don't want to hurt my family. Some other indicators of ambivalence, a child might say something like that they don't know what to do. Right, that that's ambivalence because that tells us that the child is, is is. Looking for something to do, they just don't know how to help, how to get out of their pain. But right now, right? I don't know what to do. That means that is almost like an indicator of something that can, we can help with. Uh, or if they say something like, I wish I could just figure out how to cope, that's a sign of ambivalence as well. So after hearing ambivalence, you want to reflect that and discuss the ambivalence with them. So on the, hand, on the handout that you uh, have received, there is a subsection under buffers that's entitled ambivalence for Like living and dying with questions that can help draw this out. We wanna help someone recognize that for themselves because it's important to help us move into exploring alternatives to suicide and safety planning. Uh, something that we, that's important to say is that we when we 're helping someone a child thinking about suicide, we are not taking suicide off the table. this one's a, uh, a was a hard one for me to learn too it's not we're not taking it it's an option that the youth has put in front of them for for their reasons, and we don't want to take the option off the table that's for them to decide but what we're going to do is we're going to put a lot of other options there on that table if it's kind of like like if you have a table and you have there you have an apple and one of the apples is like maybe it's a rotten apple and you could think of that maybe as the the suicide apple uh, we're not trying to get they're not gonna you know take it away from. The the child but what we're doing is we're going to put a lot of other apples other tasty apples on the table and just let them know that there are options that they don't have to eat that apple Um, there's another way to in to to help cope or in with their pain besides suicide all right so this one we're going to do this one's actually going to involve involve you all because I want to give you a chance to, to practice asking some of our risk assessment questions. So for this is going to take your participation, and uh, what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to do a role play where I am going to play a teen. I'm going to play Jesse, and you all are going to be uh, – you could be my, my – a counselor or a therapist or a social worker, or you're just somebody that I am a teen that I'm talking to, okay? So I'm gonna read this right here. So Jessie, that's who I'm gonna play, is a 16-year-old female. Her father has been serving a four-year prison sentence for the past year. Four months ago, she was told that her parents were getting a divorce. As a result, Jessie has moved to a new city, started a new school where she has few friends, and is only able to see her father once a month. Her mother is already dating another person. Per mother reports, she often seems withdrawn and irritable. Her mother informed you that she read the following statement in her journal. I don't know why I was born.
1: Hello.
0: Yes, Jessie is expressing these concerns for the first time to you today. So as we we do the we do this role play I'm gonna play I'm gonna go okay. into Jesse. Um, I'm feeling I'm feeling okay, I don't know. I'm just sort of uh, annoyed that I have to be here. I am I mean, I'm sure my mom already talked to you um, and she's worried about me i guess she read some things in my journal and she's she's making me come see see you right now so i don't know i guess i'm okay i'm okay right now keisha asked tell me
1: more about what you wrote in your journal
0: i was just you know writing about just what's been going on, I guess what's been going on in my life. Um, My, I don't know if my mom told you, but we just moved here and I don't like it. Like I'm not doing, I'm not doing as well as I thought I would be at my old school. I was doing better and I don't know. I'm not really feeling like I fit in with anybody here. I hate going home. I was writing about that. She's probably upset about that. It's because my mom started dating this new guy uh, and I really don't like him. So writing about that, I'm just, um, my dad has, I haven't seen my dad in a long time. He's not really in the picture that much anymore. I like barely see him now Um, he's in prison right now and so I was writing about that and I don't know it's just it's like all all too much and so I'm just feeling like just feeling like it's just too much I kind of don't I'm just like wondering why am I even here why was I even born and I guess that's why she
1: contacted you
0: Daisy, Daisy asked, "How would you describe your relationship with your mom? We, we, we get along okay. I don't know. I don't really feel like I can talk to her a lot of about a lot of things because when I do, she sort of freaks out. Um, and she, like I remember telling her last last year, I was really anxious, and then suddenly she bought a lot of." Um, you know, how to cope with your anxiety books. And that's like her way of communicating with me. So I don't, I don't really tell her that, uh, tell her a lot because she gets, she gets overwhelmed and I just, I don't want to put that on her it's just like, she's already going through a lot. I, um, My mom's, my mom's new boyfriend. I don't like him. (laughs) Uh, he tries to get to know me, but I, I don't know. He's not my dad. So I kind of, I feel like he, my mom, he's, he's lives with us now. And it's like, my mom didn't even ask. So yeah, I don't really like being home.
1: Daisy asks, how do you make yourself feel better? Uh, writing in my journal, I guess. That helps. Thinking about, Rachel,
0: Rachel asked, I'm thinking about suicide. Kind of, I am kind of, I mean, I'm thinking about why do I want to do this why why do i want to do life like it's already been so painful and i can't imagine it getting better right now so
1: kind of yeah
0: so, what has it so uh, what do we have what that's like being forced to do something i hate it like i feel like i'm not I have no say, you know, I didn't have a say in the school. I don't have a say. I didn't have a say in my parents getting a divorce. I don't have a say when I see my dad, it's terrible. My mom says like, I'm angry a lot. And yeah, I think I have a reason to be angry. We have Omar asks, what makes you say, why was I born? I say that because I,
1: don't see the point i don't see the point of living
0: so we have have you ever attempted to kill yourself yeah no i'm sorry no i have i haven't um i've never i've thought about it before like um it was last year, my dad, when he went to when he left and he had to go to prison, I started thinking about it, but um, I talked to him, and he he just tells me to to not think about that, and that um he loves me and and that he's not going to be in there for very long and so. But just recently, it's just this last these last few months it's been all too much, so I'm sort of thinking about it again.
1: Hi hey, Christina from
0: Keisha. we have you said you just moved. Do you have someone to talk to a support system? I have some friends at school. Um, but I don't really they don't really know what's going on. I've been kind of keeping that to myself i have I have friends in my old school that I've sort of lost contact with. So I used to talk to them about everything. Like they knew everything, but I haven't really reached out. And I don't really want to worry them. They seem to have, like, you know, been going on, having a good life. And I feel like I don't want to be a downer right now. And I write my dad. But yeah, like I said, I barely get to see him. Do you have a plan? I I have been thinking
1: about hanging myself, yes, I have been thinking about um, hanging myself with I guess a rope. My mom's
0: boyfriend is a rock climber and he has brought a lot of ropes. Into the garage, and I guess I could hang myself like that. Um,
1: you ask about cutting i no, I don't no, I don't
0: wanna cut myself. I haven't thought about that. Um, you ask about a weapon. No, my my mom doesn't believe in guns. She's like anti-guns. My dad used to have them, but at, um, ever since we moved, she got rid of all of them. So, yeah,
1: no. What has kept you from killing yourself thus far? What is your motivation to live? Good question. I don't know. I guess
0: part of me... Part of me just knows how upset my dad would be, like, he doesn't really have many people in his life. I feel like he says, like, I'm his, like, reason, um, for, you know, for getting through it. I'm like, he looks, up. he looks to me, so I, I feel like I don't want to leave him. I want to be here when he, I want him to be proud. Um, when he gets out, and um, I don't know, I kind of want to be. I used to want to be a doctor. Um, I kind of want to be a doctor for kids when I grow up. I Think any other risk assessment questions before we end? Because I think we've gotten. I think we've gotten to where we're talking about ambivalence, haven't we? all right i think i think we'll stop there that was good how strong is your intent to kill yourself oh i love that one okay um i'll answer that one for intent um
1: from a scale like one through five
0: i don't know maybe like maybe like a one right now or two i don't really it's just like this kind of like a thought that comes up in my mind and I think about it, but I don't think I can. I don't think like when it comes down to it, I can, um, I, yeah, like, I think it kind of feels okay talking, talking about it and talking it out. Um, I wish I had more people to talk to about this sort of thing. You're kind of like the first person I've talked to. Uh, and I guess, I guess since I moved, um, I had a friend I used to talk to and at my old school
1: uh, and
0: they were really supportive because they were kind of going through the same thing. But I haven't had that. So it feels really good to to talk about
1: it. All right. We're good. Thank you, guys. Thank you all. I mean, all right. So
0: that was just like an example, small example of what it's like having, what it could be like having a conversation like this uh, with uh, with the youth, with the teen, um, and and yeah, so. I encourage you uh, to think about, I wanna see uh, in, in kind of the chat, what were some of the reasons for living that you heard Jesse express? What were some of the reasons
1: for living that she had?
0: Yes, her father, it's a big one, yeah. You can just tell how much she loved her father. Yeah, oh yeah, not wanting to disappoint her father. Yeah, exactly what uh, any ideas right now that you could sort of you're already sort of thinking about in the back of, in, in the back of your mind about what could be used in a, a safety plan for her? I know we, we weren't bringing it up here but what are some things that probably would be important to to helping her stay safe? Building her support, reconnecting with her friends, yes. Uh, she had friends at the old school, yeah, the old school that she was at, exactly, and building her support that she has now where she, in the new city, in the new school, yes, and yeah, keeping in contact with her father, so that's a big one, whether that be like uh, letters, she, I, I think I might have said she sees her father, yeah, so she does, she does visit her father in prison once a month, so that would be helpful, Oh, support in her new school. That's a good one. Yeah. So she might have, there might be supports in the school itself, whether that be uh, counselors or perhaps teachers that she can connect to. Yeah. Uh, When it comes to, see what she mentioned some means. So she mentioned a rope. Any Anyone have an idea about what we want to do with that, with that information, what we could do with that, with that information? We're going to get a little bit more into that when we go into safety planning. Uh, and that would be a conversation to, to have with her. Yeah. Is to ask, uh, yeah, and to encourage her to share her thoughts with mom. Yeah. so. Uh, my question was when it comes to the ropes that she has access to because she said that her means would possibly be to hang herself with the ropes that her mom's boyfriend has brought into the house because he's a rope climber so she was thinking about possible means she's thinking about the ropes so we know that she has those in her house so maybe uh what what we can do is have her have a conversation with her mom. Talk to her about her, talk to her mom about her thoughts and and maybe talk to her mom about, uh, you know, not having the ropes in the house, at least for a while right now. So I encourage you to, to take those risk assessment questions. There's a list of them on those handle, of different ways to ask the same types of questions. But practice saying them out loud, because when it comes time to have a, a conversation about suicide, it would be really helpful for you to just be more comfortable asking those questions out loud. Like actually practice, practice them, ask each other those questions. Um, I remember when I first was working on the crisis line, I, as I was uh, driving to my, my shift, I would just practice asking, like, "Are you thinking about suicide? Do you have a plan? Like, do you have access to pills? Do you have access to those knives?" You know, I was kind of just getting familiar with with those questions. Um, have you ever thought about suicide before? You know, sort of trying to memorize those. You all were uh, you were asking about some of her support systems, things like that. Um, we, that's really good to get to know her full story about how connected she is with those. And, and you heard the ambivalence there. So when you hear the ambivalence, that's, that's, that's a good time to reflect that, to say, I hear that you're, you're saying that you want to die at the same time. You're also saying that you want to be there for your father, that you want him to be proud of you. Right. And so I wonder if we can talk. What do you think about us talking about about how to help you cope with what's going on in your life right now, so you so you can stay alive, so you can be there um, for your father. Can you so you can do those things? Become a doctor, right? So just like highlight the ambivalence and then move into talking about uh, ways to alternatives to suicide, ways to help the person, the child feel better, and. And so discuss the ambivalence, again, talking about suicide is one of many options. So let's talk about, we can say, let's talk about other things. If What are some other alternatives to suicide? What are other things that help you feel better? And uh, you can ask what has helped in the past? What are some things that have really helped you cope when you're feeling lonely, when you're feeling angry, when you're feeling upset at your mom or something like that? So explore what, what has helped. And let the child identify things for themselves. So they might have things that they already do that's really helpful or that they would wanna try. Uh, So identify those and you could always offer offer ideas uh, for them. So maybe if someone is saying that, you know, it really helps to journal, maybe you could offer, like I also hear that it helps to write poetry. What do you think? Is that something that has been helpful for you? You know and so they might say like no I hate poetry or they might be like yeah I could try that and think about that as an alternative so as uh, safety planning so we're gonna get more into to safety planning and what a solid safety plan looks like a safety plan is a written list of personalized and prioritized coping strategies and resources that a child can use to feel better, right, to, to feel better when they're thinking about suicide, to feel better be, before they even think about suicide. So a safety plan is really to help them identify other options for relieving their pain before they're in a crisis when it may be d- difficult to think about uh, what to, may be difficult for them to think about these things. So it's really good. Safety something that they can write down ahead of time. It's a set of coping strategies that they can they can list, right? So it's prioritized, meaning, meaning that they these are the things they want to do first, second, third to cope with how they feel. Ideally it is something that they can it's written down, but not always. So we, we're gonna talk about about the My3 app in a bit, so thank you. So this is the safety plan that we use. We actually use one at the car it looks like this. We actually have it, it's like two, two-sided uh, right here, and on one side we actually have a list of resources, on the other side it looks like what you're looking at here in the PowerPoint. And see it's like one, two, three, four, five, six there's six sections, uh, sections. I'm give, we're giving you a handout, um, in a word document. So I encourage you to, you know, customize, make your own, customize your own, but they all, and but they all essentially have the same ingredients, right? Most of them will have, it's important for to have them identify what are their warning signs. So let's start with that. I'm going to go into detail about what a safe, what, kind of questions that we want to ask when it comes to identifying uh, their warning signs. So warning signs, these could be things, warning signs that are internal or external. So their internal warning signs can be feelings of panic or anxiety. It could be uh, thoughts, uh, images. It could be certain um, behaviors that they do. These are all things that they can identify to help them know. When to use their plan, their their uh, safety plan as well, and then uh, it could be oh external things could be like breakups, maybe they have like a fight with the with uh, a family member, um, maybe they get a bad grade in school. You know, very this is personalized to whatever that youth identifies for themselves as something that causes them to. Uh, Think about suicide. And then step two. So this is the next slide. Step two are, is helps them identify their internal coping strategies. So these are things that they can do to soothe distressing feelings that lead them to think about suicide. So for example, maybe it's meditating, maybe it's praying, maybe taking a warm bath, playing video games, listening to music, you know, reading, exercising, whatever it is uh, for the youth. These, and then the next one is to identify their ex- what we call external coping strategies. These are the things that the youth can do to interact with their environment that improves their mood. So it could be spending time with their friends on Zoom, maybe going to the beach with their family or going on a, a walk outside. Maybe it's uh, right now, you know, attending an online church service or uh, a teen support group, right? Or, or simply just, you know, playing multi- online multiple player games with their friends. So that could be another, another thing that they can do. And number four, so the next, the next step would be for them to identify the specific people in their life that they feel comfortable with asking for help. They feel comfortable with talking to. Friends, I guess, uh, a family member, somebody in their community, somebody support group, maybe it's a teacher, a counselor, a coach, you know, any, any, maybe it's you, it's somebody that they feel safe talking to for, for help, and ideally someone that they can talk to about their thoughts of suicide right and you can even just this is where you can discuss you know what would it be like for you to open up and have like a heart to heart with your dad Or right? what would it be like if you know you let a friend know um, that you need help how do you think they might react so this is where we could have that conversation and this is where they actually would write make sure you, they write the numbers down or maybe they if they have a phone star the people that that the the people in their life that they know that they can talk to and then step five step five these are the professional our professional resources so our uh our therapists school counselors or teachers this is the teen line so the teen line is a line that is operated by teens who have like these are the counselors are trained are teens that are highly trained and who answer the calls Right now, the teen unfortunately the teen line isn't open for calls. They're only open for chat right now. So if someone calls the teen line, they'll actually be forwarded to the Lifeline, the the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Right now, so they they'll get an adult. <laughs> right now, um, this is due to what's happening right now in the world with, with COVID. So you can let the teen know that as well, and it could also Uh, This is where you make sure that they know the number, to the teen line and to the 24-hour crisis line, 1-800-273-8255. And then here you can have a conversation about what it would be like, when would they know when they need to reach out for help, when would they know if they ever need to reach out to the crisis line maybe here you give a call to the crisis you could even call them um this is something that we do in our survivor after suicide attempt support group is during one of the groups as a group we actually call the the crisis line and we talk to a counselor and we ask them we ask the the counselor like questions like what happens when you call the crisis line what would you do uh what would, what if what do you say if someone is telling you they're thinking about suicide so that's, a, that's another option for you is to call the crisis line with the teen, with the youth, to get a feel for what it would be like um, if they ever do need to in the future. All right, and then final step to help keeping the person safe and keeping their environment safe is to talk about the means. So talk about what they have access to in their home, that they believe that they would use to uh, attempt suicide so it might mean talking to their parents about you know putting they have a, a gun in the home about putting the gun in a safe a locked one or maybe in another family's home or maybe it's if they're if the means are something that like the family can't like it's not something to get rid of right so if if the means are, uh, something, the, something like, I want, um, like belts, right? We can't get rid of every single person's belt in the house, but what we could do is the teen could maybe give her belts or their, her or his belts or their belts, oh, uh, away for the time being, or maybe put them in a box that with like, or pictures of loved ones, like around whatever means that they're thinking about, things like that. So um, you could be like kind of creative around around what to do with the with the means. Um, the something for the the V the VA not the VA but what was developed for veterans were gun skins. So gun skins are things that this company developed that are pretty much stickers that can be added to the side of uh, guns and they are customizable. So somebody could basically create a sticker if you, there's this website that, uh, that somebody can go on to and, and create a sticker that's like of their family or of an inspirational quote and they can stick onto the side of their firearm to remind them you know, about their reasons for living. So after you finish the safety plan, you wanna review it again, summarize what you've talked about, discuss it with them, discuss where they're gonna keep it. Maybe it's in their backpack, maybe it's in their journal. You can discuss who, who do they wanna share the safety plan with, you know? Let's talk, what do you think about sharing this with your caregiver? what would that be like and then and then uh, this is the next slide if the if the teen of the youth has a phone there's this app that was developed by SAMHSA that's free and customizable called my three app and this is where they identify their top three people that they want to call in case of a crisis and pretty much goes over what, uh, what we discussed about in this one here, in our paper version, right there. So it's, all, it's discreet, you know, phones can be locked and it's always present with them. I think a lot of our teens you know, have, have phones, not everyone does, but for those who do. So remember like a safety plan is something that is developed with the youth, it's not done something to the youth, we want them involved the entire way, you know. Um, and a safety plan is not, it is not an alternative to hospitalization, I want to say that. So if you have a, a child, a teen who is in imminent risk, who is in high, high risk of, of, of attempting suicide, they have a plan, they have the means, and they have the intent um, to act on those Those thoughts, uh, you know, if they've, it might be to the point where you might need to contact their caregiver um, and arrange hospitalization. So a safety plan is not an alternative if the child is in imminent risk, but it is something that can be used um, preemptively. So that's that's uh, it's something that can be used to give the child support and resources that they need to prevent pretty much um, risk, a higher risk of suicide. There are other resources, so other important resources in the next slide to provide the youth, to provide the family as well, is the number to the crisis line right there, the Suicide Prevention Crisis Line. We also have a Suicide Prevention Counseling Center at the Suicide Prevention Center, that's the number right there. These are the numbers to our support groups, these are for adults, but we also have a survivor after suicide team group. So these are those, again, that are bereaving the loss of someone to suicide. All our groups right now are on Zoom. Some other community resources that are important to share, the the lifeline, and then there's the website, Suicide is Preventable. So these are things that we often share with Loved ones who just want to know how to talk to their child or friend about suicide. It goes over a lot of the the risk uh the risk some of the risk assessment questions that we went over today, just kind of know what to say, how to say it. And then there's the Trevor project that is for our LGBTQI youth, and then we have the teen line again. So and both of these have Uh, If you go to their websites, there's more resources for teens as well. There's the Your Life, Your Voice. Uh, It's a project by Boys Town. There is a list of 101 ways to cope. So sometimes if a child is having a hard time identifying, like, I don't know what to do to cope, I don't know what to do to feel better, you can take the child to this website or look at it or print out the whole list. And walk with them and say, what do you think would be helpful to try? What do you want to, what do you want to try today? Uh, that sort of thing. What do you want to try when you're feeling anxious? What do you, what do you think would be helpful when you're feeling sad? You know, and have them sort of circle uh, their, the coping strategies that they're open to doing. Love is respect. That's a number for any youth that is experiencing abuse in a relationship. Similar, there's that a number stomp out bullying and cyberbullying, that's another number that the youth can call. And then to write love in our arms is a website for um, teens or youth who are experiencing self-harm. And then, And then one more click for me. Thank you so much. So these are ways that, that you can help and become involved If you want more training in suicide prevention, you can volunteer to become a crisis counselor and get 80 hours of training uh, and volunteer. Usually the the shifts are four hours a week. So if you're interested in that, um, you would uh, let me know and I can contact and get you in touch with our, our volunteer team. And then also you can participate if you're interested in helping us raise money for suicide prevention. There's the live and running 5k walk or run and more information is at aliveandrunning.org. So we usually have that, that usually occurs in uh, September as well. Thank you so much.